I can tell from the sights, the sounds, and myself that allergy season has come upon us. We're going to make it, folks. We're going to make it. Well, if you brought a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look together verses 1 through 10, verses that most of you have read many times or familiar with, but I wanted to lock down into one passage of Scripture this morning because today I want to talk to you about grace. Grace is all over Scripture. And we could wear your thumbs out just going from place to place to place to look at grace. But instead of doing that, I want us to focus on what I believe is the single greatest passage about God's amazing grace that we find anywhere in the Word of God. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. You know, one of the greatest tragedies of history, the history of man, is our failure through the ages in attempting to earn God's favor. Man's always thought he could do it. We can be good, but then we fail and we fall into sin. And when we get up, we get dusted off and say, okay, we're going to get it right this time, and we fall again. Because of that constant, continual falling, God gave man the law so that they would know what what righteousness looked like, how we ought to live, what we ought to be doing. Man couldn't keep the law. So man determined, we'll be religious. We'll follow the rituals. We'll carry out the ceremonies. We'll worship God the best way we know how, the best way we understand. We'll appease God with our worship. That didn't work either. The truth of the matter is this. It was up to God to make things work. You see, God knew that man would sin. And so it was up to him to find a way to bring into balance his justice, which required wrath, And his expressions of love and mercy that he desired to pour out on his people. God could not look to his creation to solve the problem. Because his creation was the problem. We're it. So he had to come up with an answer to address the conflict caused by the sinfulness of man in opposition to his great deep love and he did it God came up with a plan to resolve the problem in himself by himself for himself to benefit mankind who could not help himself because he was stuck in sin God's answer is found in grace amazing Wonderful, matchless, infinite grace. Grace begins in God and comes into our lives. At the heart of grace is unmerited favor. The understanding that 
We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We can't be good enough for it. We can't deserve it. We can never merit God's favor. It is unmerited. That's what makes it grace. It's the goodness of God toward man, toward people who don't deserve it and never will. Not only do we not deserve it, we'll never be able to pay it back. But there's something you need to know this morning, just before we read these verses together. Have you found Ephesians chapter 2? Okay. I want you to mark down what I'm about to tell you. You cannot be saved apart from grace. I could save you time and just go ahead and dismiss. But I just can't find it in me. You cannot be saved apart from grace. Remember that. If you forget everything else I say, remember that. Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul takes to underwrite about grace. He wants us to get it. And so he writes to us in this letter. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to begin our reading at verse 1. If you've got your Bible open there, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of our Heavenly Father as we read together from this, His inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work. In those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, I love the way that God is just set apart. There's nothing else that compares to him. There's no one else like him. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that in this time you would give us understanding. You would help us to see And to understand the beauty of your grace. And Lord, if there are those in this room who have never experienced your grace, I pray that today would be a day of awakening and awareness. 
a day when your truth becomes real in their lives and they move from a place of death to a place of life in Jesus Christ. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Speak to us. Show us. Teach us your way. And teach us how to walk in it. But we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to invite you to keep your Bible open right there. Not going to take you anywhere else. Want us to stay right here and take these verses apart. Because you see, in the verses that we just read, we read an amazing story of failure, of love, and transformation that was all born out of God's grace. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. We're set free, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. Not because of what we have done, but because of what He has accomplished. I want us to see how this is done. Not according to my opinion, not according to my thoughts, but according to what the Word of God says. And so we're just going to look at these verses together. Can we do that together this morning? All right. The understanding begins when we come to grips with what I have labeled simply taking it upon myself, my condition. I'm not going to point the finger at you, I'm going to point it at me. My condition is what is revealed in verses 1 through 3. Paul starts out by simply saying this, as for you, he's talking to me, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. I'm dead. I was born dead. I grew up dead. I lived dead. Because of the sin and the transgression in my life. Say, well, wait a minute, when you were born, you didn't know any different. No, but that seed was lying dormant in my heart. It was just waiting to take hold. It didn't take very long for it to begin uh, to bloom. It didn't take very long for it to begin to germinate. And, and the roots began to take hold in my heart. I, I want you to understand something. No one had to teach me to say the word mine. It was natural. No one has to teach that to a child. It just comes naturally. No one has to teach a child to fight for what they want. They just do it. No one has to explain to a kid, you can take something from somebody if you're bigger than them. We just know that. You see, there is inside of us that which is just naturally corrupt. It's hard to say that whenever you're holding your grandbaby or your child. But give them time. Let them grow up a little bit. It will become abundantly evident to you. It's in all of us. Because of the sin that's in my mind, in my heart, in my life, I'm dead. Now, there are two different words used here. Did you notice that? Paul says that you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The word transgressions, it means, it's talking about actions that go against the law. That go against the rules. A, a code of conduct. It may not necessarily be something immoral, or terribly evil, but it goes against the law. You see, those are transgressions. Now, sin is a whole other matter. Sin is when we violate that which God has said is right or wrong, and therefore, whenever we step across that line, we are now engaged in immorality. We live in a world that has tried to make immorality moral. It does not work. 
The Old Testament talked about this. It talked about a time when, when man would call good that which was evil and evil that which is good. But I want to tell you something about myself. I can't keep the laws of God. Neither can you. We naturally violate the word of God, his directives, his precepts, his commands. And because I have been corrupted by my sinful nature and the sin that's in my head and in my heart and in my life, I am no longer able to fellowship with my creator the way that he created me and intended for me to do. That's the result of sin. God is the creator. He is the giver of life. And when we are with him, we are more alive than at any other time. But when we are separated from him by our sin, we are dead in our sin. We are cut off from the giver of life. We are cut off from the one who makes us alive. And it has to be that way because God in his holiness and his purity, it's just his character. He cannot abide with sin, nor can he abide have those who are sinful abiding with him. And because of who he is and what I am, our relationship, our communion, our fellowship has been broken. The result of that is what Paul says. I'm passing through this life. I am dead even as I'm living. What this means is apart from Christ, you guys will get this. A lot of them won't. Some of them might. But y'all will get this, okay? Apart from Christ, you are the living dead. You're zombies. Okay? You're the dead undead. We are separated from him. We're walking, we're talking, we're living, we're going through all the motions. But on the inside... We're dead. That's what sin does. And I am so thankful that as I read these verses, I realized something. God's not satisfied with that for his creation. But we're there. What drives us there? Conformity. Wanting to be like the world around us. Still got your Bible open? Look at what Paul says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He says all of us, all of us used to be a part of that crowd. Now some of us have been made alive, but, but there are still a lot of people who are walking like that, walking in the ways of this world. We're being conformed to this world. Not, we're not being transformed by the renewing of our minds, as he told the Romans. No, we're being conformed to this world. We are doing what the world does. It, the world says it's cool, we're going to do it. The world says it's okay, we're going to do it. Listen, it doesn't matter what the world says. You better ask yourself, what does God say? We can talk about this all day long what it is to sin, what it looks like, how it impacts our lives, how it steers our direction, how it directs us in one way or the other. But all we really need to know is what Paul said in verse 3. In this condition, we were by nature objects of his wrath. When we are in that condition, God must judge We're targets. My condition? Sinful. But I'm so thankful Paul didn't stop writing there. Because we can go from my condition to God's action. You ready? Let's go with it. 
Verse 4. I love this. But because of his great love for us, God. I can't do it. You can't do it. Mom, Dad, you can't do it for your kids. Those of you here in my crowd, we can't do it for our grandchildren. But because of his great love for us, God. There's the one. There's the only one who can do it. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy... He's got plenty to spare. He can dispense it liberally and generously, and he's never going to run out. He's not just a loving God or a God of love, which sounds kind of abstract, maybe general, perhaps disconnected. No, his love is toward us. I love that pronoun. I'm in that pronoun. You're in that pronoun. We're all part of us, all right? Because of his great mercy toward us, we're in this. He is merciful. You can pick your word. Forgiveness, compassionate, kind, gracious, generous, magnanimous, benevolent. You choose your word. It's going to be correct. It's going to be appropriate. Because of his character, because of his love, because of his mercy, he acts on our behalf. What's his action? Got your Bible? Look at what Paul says. Verse 5. He has made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he has made, we didn't make us alive. It doesn't say we, it says he. He has made us alive. Well, even while we were dead in our transgressions, in doing so, it tells us here in verse 6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. What that means is that he has raised us up from death to life we've been recreated regenerated born again we have become new creations in Christ Jesus the old things the dead things have passed away all things have become new he has readied us and prepared us so that we can dwell with Jesus now and forever in eternal glory it's this action by God that makes it possible for us To live eternally in heaven with God and with our Savior. He has prepared us. I want you to see what he's prepared for. I hope you're prepared this morning. If you're not prepared, I hope you're listening to all of this. But if you are born again, I hope you understand you're prepared. And you need to know what you're prepared for. Look at verse 7. He has prepared us in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Folks, that's talking about heaven. That's talking about eternal glory. That's talking about he has prepared us so that we can transition from this life into the next life and we can experience all the grandeur and all the glory of heaven. That place that Jesus said he was going to prepare for us, we can't take it as we are. Our minds have to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God for us to be able to grasp what's going to happen. The Apostle Paul made a trip. He saw a vision, if you will, of heaven. He recorded it in one of his letters to the Corinthians and, and basically here's what he said. I don't have words to tell you what I saw. 
My brain couldn't wrap around it. I can't explain it. I can't tell you what it was. All I can tell you is it was so incredibly awesome. Well, I love that it was incredibly awesome, but what was it really like, Paul? Words cannot say. There are not adequate words in our language. Don't care if you speak Greek. Don't care if you speak English. There are not adequate words. But God is preparing us so that when we see it, we will speak the heavenly language. Wow. It's one word. It's all you got to know. That's the heavenly language. Wow. He is going to reveal to us that which we can't understand. How does he do that? Well, we arrive now at the sermon. Say, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I, could hear the, I could hear it rolling into your heads. No. Now we arrive at the sermon because reality is after we've gone verses 1 through 7, we finally arrive at what we need to arrive at today. We need to arrive at the grace transaction. Sola gratia. Grace alone. There's nothing else. And I want you to see the grace transaction. You've seen it before, but you've got to get it. Now, we have to examine this before we can leave here today. Verse 8. It is by grace. Let me tell you what that means. We can't take credit for it. We didn't earn it. We didn't buy it. We didn't serve hard enough. Nothing we can do. It's by grace. It's God's doing. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for attendance in church. Salvation is not a reward for doing good things or being a, a moral person. Salvation is not a reward for, for being kind to other people and, 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 and keeping your cool when the traffic is out of control. Salvation is a gift from God so that no one can boast about it. Paul makes this so abundantly clear in what he writes. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. You know what? You can't even gin up the faith to do it. You can't produce faith. You can't crank out faith. You can't gin up your faith and say, well, I'm going to believe today. No. The faith that you have in your head and in your heart and in your life is a gift from God. He has given you faith so that you can believe. He has given you faith so that you can live. He has given you faith so that you can be born again. It's a gift. Look at what Paul says after that. Not by works. So that no one can boast. Oh, Paul was a scholar. Paul was well read, well studied. He was a scholar, folks. And so when Paul starts talking about grace, <laughs> it spoke to his heart. He said, Well, what do you mean by that? Well, Paul understood justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy 
is getting less than you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. All right, did did y'all get that? Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is getting less than you deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Now, Paul, being a scholar, remembered his own life. And he remembered being there, known as Saul, the day that a young man named Stephen lost his life. It's back over in the book of Acts. Stephen was a deacon, preacher, a bold, courageous witness. It riled the crowd up. It wasn't long after the resurrection, the ascension of our Lord. It was in the early days of the church there in Jerusalem. And the mob grabbed Stephen and they took him outside the city to stone him to death. He said, well, Stephen had nothing to do with that. Well, Stephen was there and he held their coats so that their shoulders could work really well. It's kind of like driving the getaway car. You may not be in the bank, you may not pull the trigger, but you are still guilty as a participant. And Saul knew, Paul knew, he was guilty as a participant. He may not have thrown a rock, but he made it possible for others to do so. He may not have been the one who said, man, we're going to get him, but he was the one who encouraged others to think that way. And when Paul put that into the equation I just shared with you, here's how it would have come down in his scholarly mind. For Paul, justice would have been to answer for his crime. And 2,000 years ago, the penalty for murder was death. That would have been Paul's justice. For Paul, mercy would have saved him from the execution of capital punishment. But he would still have to stand before the Almighty, the judge of all, and give account for his crime. He would still have to answer to God. But Saul, who became Paul, said, I am a recipient of grace. God reached down and he gave me a new beginning. He gave me a new start. He took my sin and he gave me the righteousness of Christ. I am not guilty. I stand in God's grace. It's through faith, not of yourselves. No one can boast. It's God's doing. Why would God do this? Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We are his creation. We are what he has made. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Aha, see preacher, I knew good works were involved in this. Ah, The good works come after salvation, not before. He's created us in Christ Jesus. That's being born again. That's being saved. To do good works 
which God has prepared in advance for us to do. See, God has a plan for each life. When I was still dead in my trespasses and sins, my transgressions, God knew when I get my hands on that little boy, I'm going to raise him up to preach the gospel. When God looked at you in whatever state you were before you came to Christ Jesus, he looked at you and said, when I get my hands on them, I'm going to raise them up, and here's what I'm going to do with them. You see, he prepared good works for me and for you in advance. That, my friends, that, that is sola gratia, grace alone. It's God saving those who are not deserving of salvation. It is God forgiving those who are unforgivable. It is God making new those who were dead. It is God taking that which is broken and making it whole in order to accomplish his purpose in this world through his kingdom. And this morning, if you doubt what I'm telling you, I just want you to consider what scripture says about the human condition. I had someone tell me not long ago, Pastor, I just can't agree with you. Okay, why is that? I just don't think people are as bad as what you paint us out to be. Well, okay. So I sat down. Here's what I came up with, just doing a cursory glance through Scripture. Certainly, this is not in any way complete, total. Without Jesus, we are so dead that only God can make us alive, according to Ephesians 2.1. According to 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, without Jesus, we are so blind that only God can give us sight. Psalm 51.5 tells me that without Jesus, we are so sinful that only God can forgive us. Jeremiah 17.9 tells me that without Jesus, we're so bad that only God can make us good. Luke 19.10 tells me that without Jesus, we're so lost that only God can find us. Jeremiah 13.23 tells me that without Jesus, we are so helpless that only God can change us. The list could go on and on and on and on. I I just wanted to make a point. Without Jesus, (laughs) we're a mess. And we can't fix ourselves. We are dependent upon him. We are dependent upon God. We are dependent upon grace. In short, without Jesus, there's nothing in me worth saving and there is nothing I can do to save myself. But God will save anyone who will believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You you must believe in that. He is the only Savior of the world. He is the one who came from heaven to earth for you. He died on a cross, not because he deserved to be there, but he died there to pay the price for my sins, and he rose again on the third day. He is ready to forgive my sin and your sin, and he wants to give to us, instead of our sin, his perfect righteousness. I can't point fingers at you. 
But I can tell you about me. There's nothing good in me. I had a Sunday school teacher made that perfectly clear to me, abundantly clear to me. When as an eight-year-old boy, he looked at me and he said, Tim Oles, you're good for nothing. And he was right. But it wasn't just a matter of weeks after that when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And I became a new creation. And I experienced grace. That I became eternally useful. Not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did in me. You see, there is something wonderful and amazing in God. It's, it's His grace. And in that grace, you find a hope of glory. You find purpose for living. You find meaning for every day. And if you haven't experienced that grace, I want you to know something. You can struggle all your life. You can pour out all your effort. You can work until you drop day after day after day. But it will not be until you surrender to God and receive His grace that you'll finally understand grace. That's why the songwriter wrote it the way he did. Grace, grace. God's grace. That's what changes the heart. That's what makes us alive. That's what sets us free. That's what gives us meaning. That's what helps us discover purpose. That's what keeps us. Have you experienced that grace? I did a long time ago. And I have been the most imperfect, rebellious son of a gun you've ever seen. And his grace still amazes me. It never turns me loose. It never gives up on me. And he won't turn you loose either. If you'll accept his grace this morning. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of commitment, a song of surrender. Because you see, that's what we're called to do, to surrender our lives into His life. To turn loose of our will so that He can have His will in us. He's extending His grace today to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know God is extending His grace to you. He wants to save you. I know people say, well, it doesn't work that way. Yes, it does. It's not His desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And today, if you're saying in your heart, well, I'd like to, but I'm not. Listen, if you want to, it's not because of your want. It's faith. And that faith is a gift from Him. And He's giving you that gift today. And today could be the day of your salvation. Would you run to Him? Would you call out to Him? Would you surrender to Him? Would you confess your sin and ask His forgiveness and invite Him to become your Lord and Savior? And if you've already done that, I just want to ask you this. Are you walking and living in grace each day? It's there, it's abundant, it's sufficient. Will you receive it?
Father, I thank you this morning for your amazing grace. Without it, we're all lost. Without it, this, this world has no hope. Without it, there is no salvation. It's by your grace and grace alone that we find life, forgiveness, redemption, salvation, freedom, purpose, and hope. And I know that there are some sitting in this room, Father, who are searching for those things today. They don't have those things because they don't have Jesus. They don't have Jesus because they never experienced His grace. I pray for them right now, Father, that your Spirit would pour grace out into this place upon them. That they might be transformed and changed today. Father, there's some of my brothers and sisters in this place who the world's kind of got a hook in them. Today they need their minds and their hearts to once more be conformed to the image of Christ. They need to experience grace anew for living. They've been beaten down and beaten up. They feel hopeless. They feel helpless. They feel defeated. They feel like the world has run over them. Maybe it's been at work. Maybe it's been their families. But today, you're extending grace. And God, I pray that our hearts and our minds will be open to hear your voice to hear your offer, to receive your gift, that we might live in grace. So, Father, I pray right now, open our ears to the voice of your Spirit. Speak and call. And find in us a people who are ready to hear and respond to your offer of grace. Father, we need you. Have your way in our lives. But we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.